what type of home should we have? A life-giving home or a life-taking home? Or maybe a better question is, which kind of home do you have? A life-taking home reflects the world and glorifies self. It's a place to show off or and or it lacks purpose. A life-giving home reflects God and brings Him glory. It's for people, not for self. Its foundation is love because God is love. Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and it is so good to have you listening today. This podcast is called Unshaken because you and I and any woman can be unshaken because of Christ, no matter our circumstances. Today's episode is number 171, and it's called The Life-Giving Home. This was given at our first meeting of our mom-to-mom ministry. Our mom-to-mom ministry is a ministry that reaches out to any mom of any age to encourage, challenge, and teach them important things that they need to know that will help them serve God, love their families, and reach out beyond their home. Today's episode is called The Life-Giving Home, and it kicks off the theme for this 2023 to 2024 year in our mom-to-mom ministry. Hannah Sell is going to walk us through this theme, the life-giving home, and we will learn all about how our homes are a place that should give life to those who enter and about how our homes should actually reflect God. Let's jump in and listen to this first focused episode on the life-giving home with Hannah Sell. Hi, ladies. Welcome to mom to mom My name is Hannah, and it is my privilege to introduce this year's theme, the life-giving home. I have, I'm a mom to five kids, um, ages seven down to nine months old, and I've been coming to mom to mom since my oldest was a baby, so about seven years ago. This is my second year coordinating mom to mom along with Elizabeth Rethorn. And this ministry has been such a blessing to me since I was a new mom, and it still is today. And it's a privilege to be able to help make it happen. <clears throat> so now back to our theme, the life-giving home. This year, we are going to be exploring the answer to three questions. Number one, what is a life-giving home? Number two, why should I want to have one? And number three, how do I have one? Today, I'm gonna be tackling the what and the why, and the rest of the year, we will be going through the house room by room, starting in the entryway and ending in the backyard, as we talk about how to practically cultivate welcoming, loving, and life-giving homes. Do you remember the first time you started living on your own? Maybe you moved out right after high school and got your own apartment. Maybe you and your husband bought a house when you first got married and that was your first time um, living living on your own. Whenever that was, I want you to think about that time. For me, it was in my college dorm and I remember vividly shopping with my mom for bedding, storage containers, simple appliances, kitchen items, even things like picture frames and throw pillows. It was the first time I had my own space and I thoroughly enjoyed making it comfortable and lovely. I eventually moved into my own apartment and then got married and received my own set of pots and pans, matching bathroom towels, all of the things, more throw pillows, 
and it was so exciting, right? I loved finding places for all the dishes, um, making up my new bed, and um, even printing our wedding photos and hanging them in our apartment. I didn't do these things begrudgingly. I did them cheerfully because everything was new, right? And I was excited to have a place of my own. God created us with this innate sense of belonging and this desire to create and enjoy beauty. I didn't have to muster up the drive to put my new throw pillows on the couch in our apartment. I just enjoyed it. And this is how God made women. Now, you may not have the same deep love for throw pillows that I do, but I am certain you can recall some time in your life where you were excited to keep your home. And if you can't recall a time, I pray that throughout this year, you will realize the gift God has given you in this work and the importance of making beautiful what God has provided for your family. In the book of Titus, chapter 2, Paul outlines some practical duties of men and women. Verses 3 through 5 say, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. We love this passage here at Mom to Mom because it's a blueprint for how God meant for us to live our lives. He meant for us to be in a community with other women. He meant for us to learn from women who have gone before us. And he meant for us to teach the women who will come after us. And how will we live this out if we aren't in a community with a diverse ages? If this is something you feel is lacking in your life, our hope is that you can come here and get connected with other mothers. We very intentionally put your tables together with a range of ages and experiences. And not only does each table have a table leader, but each table also has at least one seasoned mentor mom who I'm certain would love to encourage you in your motherhood and your homemaking. So back to this Titus 2 passage. The older women are supposed to be teaching the younger women to love their husbands and children, be sensible, pure, kind, and workers at home. But women working in the home is kind of countercultural right now. The world despises this idea that women were made for the home. And instead of embracing the way God has created us as women and seeing it as a gift, we have said we don't want it. But being a keeper of your home does not mean you cannot work outside the home. It just means that being a worker in your home is to be your first priority. So I want to encourage you. You were uniquely made to care for your home. And it is so beautiful and satisfying when we embrace this. Now that we know that the Bible is clear that women are to be workers in their homes, let's dig into a little bit about where that came from. Because you can have the most beautifully curated home, working hard to keep it clean and lovely, but without a purpose, without a why, what are you working towards? In Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that God created the world and he created man and woman in his own image. He then tasks us with two things filling the earth with more people and subduing it or cultivating it, bringing it under our control. And how do we do that? Obviously, we all know how to create more people because we're here in a mom's group. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the second thing, <laughs> subduing the earth. 
What does that mean for you and me today in a modern world? Because most of us don't have our own literal fields to cultivate. But what do we have that God has given us? Our homes. And our homes are our fields. And we are to bring them under our control as household managers. We are to breathe life into our homes to fulfill this call God has given us to subdue the earth. This is our purpose. Subduing our homes and bringing them under our control is all about managing our homes well. It's reflecting who God is. And he has created everything in such an orderly and beautiful way. And he has made us also to be creative, to be orderly, to create beauty, all to reflect his own goodness. And not only did God give us this great purpose to our lives and how he created us, but he demonstrated his love for us by sending his only son to die for us. And this love is what should be the foundation in our homes. In a life-giving home, the people genuinely love God. And as we love God because he first loved us, we will see our love for others grow. This foundation is the force by which we can keep life-giving, even when life is difficult. This love also separates us from moms who appear to have beautiful homes, yet are apart from God. So what does a life-giving home look like where a mom is seeking to fulfill God's work for her? I'm excited to get into practical application this year, but for now, we're gonna start with some general characteristics of what a life-giving home is and the alternative, which is a life-taking home. On the back of your newsletter, if you flip it over, you'll see a notes page, and that will be there throughout the year, so you'll be able to take notes um, during the talks. But on, for this month, you'll see there's a T-chart. On one side, it says life-taking, and on the other side, it says life-giving. We're gonna be filling this in together during the talk. So the first thing I want you to write on that chart um, on the life-taking side is fussy mom. So on the life-taking side, write fussy mom. And on the life-giving side, easy to please. This was the first thing that I thought of when I made this list, actually. Um, a home with a fussy mom is not life-giving, right? A fussy mom is not easy to please. She keeps a record of wrongs and she is constantly inconvenienced. When her husband comes home, she is flustered and can't wait to tell him about all the hard things she went through that day. A fussy mom overreacts over spilled juice and is often found barking orders and complaining about the state of her house. Proverbs 40, or excuse me, Proverbs 14.1 says that the, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish tears it down with her own hands. This fussy mom does not sound like she's building her house up. In fact, her fussy attitude is destroying her home. She's creating a culture of complaining and discontentment, which is actually life-taking. But in a life-giving home, a mom is easy to please. She is quick to forgive and willing to stop what she's doing to meet a need. She cheerfully greets her husband and he looks forward to coming home to her. This mom is steady and doesn't allow her attitude to be changed by her circumstances. The other day, I made lunch for my four oldest kids and I laid out their plates on the counter for them to take outside. <clears throat> in the summer, they love to eat outside in the deck. My oldest daughter was holding the baby while I was doing this, so my son grabbed his plate and hers and ran to tell her that lunch was ready. 
you can probably guess how this ends. Um, <laughs> he dropped the plate of yogurt, grapes, blueberry sandwiches all over my living room. And would you like to know how I reacted? I was not kind. And my son then reacted negatively to me. And I could see clearly in that moment how my fussiness in response to an accident ruined the teamwork and the unity that was just present in my home. What if I had instead chosen to laugh it off? What if I had chosen to cheerfully tell him maybe he shouldn't have run through the house with full plates or just taken one at a time? Either way I reacted, I still had to clean up the mess. My reaction didn't change that part. And I think that's the key here. Having a fussy attitude doesn't fix the problem. The problem, the mess, the disobedient child, the basket of unfolded laundry, those things aren't changed when we complain about them. We fuss about them, tearing our houses down, and then are left with a bigger mess than when we started. Now I have to clean up the yogurt splattered all over my living room and work to be back in fellowship with my son. So when we're tempted to be fussy, let's remember the calling God has given us to build our homes up by being cheerful, even in less than ideal circumstances. This is a visible way of demonstrating God's love for us as we choose to love our family by being cheerful and easy to please instead of fussy. The next thing I want you to write on your chart on the life-taking side is distracted. And on the life-giving side, write connected. So distracted and connected. A distracted or a disconnected home is a, is a home where a mom is more concerned about her to-do list than her children, where her phone may take precedent over folding laundry. A distracted home is a home where each person is so busy doing what they wanna do that they are not in tune with the needs of the other people in the home. A distracted home could be extremely busy, even with good things, going from one activity to the next. A distracted home is not a connected home. The people are focused on themselves, and the family unit suffers because of this. On the flip side, a connected home prioritizes people and relationships. In a connected home, a mom is mentally present. She knows her husband and she knows her children. In a connected home, a mom knows how to prioritize her tasks and her people. In a connected home, the family functions as a unit, all working towards the same goal. I already mentioned that I have five children, seven and under. And after a long day, it is a huge temptation for me to rush through bedtime. I look forward to the quietness that fills my home after 8 p.m. I look forward to being able to tie up the loose ends of my day without little people at my feet. I look forward to getting in some sewing time or reading a book or whatever I have planned for that evening. So you can see that it is in my best interest to wrap up bedtime as quickly as possible. So, but, when I do that, I am losing a very sweet opportunity I have to connect with my kids. I would miss my four-year-old pulling me into his bed and telling me he's never letting go. I would miss my two-year-old reminding me to pray for her boo-boo on her leg and the opportunity to whisper blessings and God's promises over each of them. I would miss the chance to encourage them in their obedience and challenge them in their character. How we spend our days and our time and our resources shows us what we truly value. 
If most of our time is spent meticulously cleaning our homes, that tells us what our homes look like is most important. If we spend lots of money on expensive things, that's what we value. If we spend our days focused on training our children and loving others, that is what we value. Some families find it helpful to have a family mission statement. It could be something simple like, the Cell family loves God and loves people. This can help when making decisions about how we spend our time and money. Does this fit in the vision for this family? Would committing to this honor God? In a connected home, everyone should function under the same vision. Mom can't have a different vision for her home than dad. Everyone is on the same page. A life-giving home prioritizes people over self and connectedness over distraction. And we do this out of love for God and for others. Next on your chart, I want you to write idle on the life-taking side and productive on the life-giving side. So idle and productive. A mom who is idle avoids work and can even be considered lazy. She is without purpose. She doesn't see the value in being a homemaker and the potential she has to be a life giver. A mom who is idle may feel her role is without worth or significance. This mom is tearing down her home because her children will follow in her laziness. She does the bare minimum and does not pursue excellence. This is an extreme example, but I think it's helpful to see that behind laziness in the home is really just a lack of purpose. A life-giving home is a place that produces and creates. The people there are hard workers and see their work as pleasing to God. A mom in a productive home knows that washing dishes and baking bread isn't meaningless work, that it glorifies God because it is in service to her family. In a productive home, the children are quick to help with the household tasks because it has been demonstrated to them by their parents. Working hard is part of the family culture because mom and dad have made it so. We have a great example of a productive household in Proverbs 31. I'm not going to read the whole chapter today, but I encourage you to do so in your own time. Verses 27 through 31 say, She, as in this godly woman, looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There's our word. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. How we work hard in our homes is going to look different for each of us because we all have different skills. But whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Next, I want you to write fearful on your, the life-taking side and faithful on the life-giving side. So fearful and faithful. A fearful mom limits her children's interactions with others because they may be a bad influence. A fearful mom may have house rules rooted in fear rather than in scripture. A fearful mom assumes all the bad is out there and doesn't see her own children's sin. A fearful mom doesn't prepare her children for the world because she is so short-sighted. 
A fearful mom holds her children tight and doesn't trust anyone else with them, including the Lord. On the other hand, a faithful mom trusts God with her children and their futures. She knows she has been given the task of training up her children, but that eventually they will go. A faithful mom sees her home as a launching pad where she prepares them to be a light in the world and a force for God's kingdom. A faithful mom allows her children to take risks and teaches them how to fight their sin. I think that holding our children tightly is a temptation for a lot of moms. We don't want to see them hurt, and we definitely don't want to see the sin in them. But when we fail to see this part of them, it's life-taking because we aren't teaching them their need for a savior. There is another type of fear, and I'll call it everyday fear, that can also tear down our homes. I'm talking about the little things, worrying about the roof that needs replaced, not letting your child climb a tree because you're afraid of them falling, things like that. My husband works in orthopedic trauma, and he will be the first to say that the top reasons he has kids in the ER for broken bones are trampolines and monkey bars. And kids love trampolines and monkey bars. <laughs> I would love to just make a blanket rule. In my house, we will not be doing trampolines and monkey bars. This would help me personally not be, have to worry about it. <laughs> or I could teach them how to do things safely, as best as I can, I guess, and then trust God with them and choose not to worry when they're jumping on the neighbor's trampoline. In Luke chapter 12, it says, And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. This is God's alternative to worry. And it's the cure for our anxieties and our fears. And how do we do that? By having an eternal, long-term perspective and remembering it's our Father's joy and good pleasure to give us good things. He has promised to give us the kingdom as well as provide for our everyday needs. There are so many times that God has provided for my family in ways that I couldn't have imagined. I have a small example. When my husband and I bought our first house, I can remember the emotional ups and downs of that whole process. I remember waiting for the call from the realtor after we put an offer in. And I think it was a couple of days before we heard anything. And I remember I was physically ill waiting for this call. <laughs> and I remember I, at one point I was in the shower and I was beside myself. And I remember praying, God, you know what's best for us. If we were meant to have this home, you will work out the details and our offer will go through. And I gave it to God in that moment. And I got out of the shower and there was a text from my realtor that we had got the house right when I walked out. And it's a simple example, but in that moment, it was obviously God's kindness to me that not only did we get the offer, but he didn't make me wait anymore. He's a kind and compassionate father that cares for our physical needs as well as our emotional ones. We need to give our troubles to God and trust that he will care for our needs. We should seek to be faithful mothers and God will give us his kingdom. A life-giving home is one that looks to eternity and seeks God's kingdom in faith. 
And I'm so excited for next month because Courtney Hassan will get to talk to us more about this topic as we start our house tour in the entryway. So to close, I want you to write one more contrast on your chart. This one kind of encompasses all of the other things we have gone over. On the life-taking side, write, reflects the world. And on the life-giving side, write, reflects God. A life-taking home reflects the world and glorifies self. It's a place to show off or and or it lacks purpose. A life-giving home reflects God and brings him glory. It's for people, not for self. Its foundation is love because God is love. So if you find yourself resembling the fussy mom or the distracted mom, the idle mom or the fearful mom, as we all have at times, do not be discouraged. There is hope. We are called to be life givers because of the one who ultimately gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. In him, we have the ability to create a home full of life that reflects him. He is the reason why our beautiful homes are different from the homes that have external beauty alone. Through him, we show our families the way to eternal life. And that is life giving at the very foundation. Heavenly Father, thank you for the important calling you have given us in motherhood and caring for our homes. I pray that this year will be an encouragement to the moms who attend and that you would be glorified in this ministry. Help us to see how we can grow in cultivating homes that are truly life-giving. I ask that you would bless our discussion time and that our words would be edifying and build each other up. In your name we pray. Amen. That was great. I was so encouraged and honestly, a little bit convicted. Okay, maybe a little bit more than just a little bit convicted. Let's take a minute and review those four opposing ideals. And while we do this, maybe you could be thinking about them if you are struggling with any of them. So let's talk about the fussy mom versus the easy to please mom. So my question is, how are you doing? Are you a fussy mom? Always irritated with the interruptions from your kids? Or are you thankful and joyful in your home and with the situations that are in front of you that have to do with your children? What about the distracted versus connected mom? Do you find yourself often distracted with your phone or other tasks that you might think are more important? Are you running down your to-do list every day and getting focused on the stuff of the world rather than the people in your home? Are you disconnected from your children and your family or are you looking for ways to connect with them even while doing different tasks around the house like dishes or folding laundry, those can be a great opportunity to make a good connection with your children as well as get work done. Okay, the next one, what about idleness versus productivity? Are you being lazy in your life? Are you lacking enthusiasm for your home, your tasks, the things that you have to get done? Or are you being productive around your home and looking for ways to do things that will bless your family even doing laundry, it's such a blessing to our family, and it's a task that needs to get done. What about fearfulness versus faithfulness? Are you holding on to your children tightly, not letting them go places or do things because you're concerned about what might happen? Or are you teaching them well and training them in what to do and then sending them out with faith that God will go with them? These are all just a few questions that we could ask ourselves. I hope that you found them to be helpful 
And I hope you found this talk to be so helpful and encouraging as we walk through the journey of parenthood. Join us next month as we will focus on the entryway, what comes into your home and what goes out. This is going to be a great talk from our Mom to Mom ministry that comes out every third Thursday of each month. So be sure you listen then. And it's time for this episode's Tiny Tidbit. A tiny tidbit is a small, tiny piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's Tiny Tidbit is brought to you by Samantha Moore. Hi, Samantha. Hi, how are you today? Great. How are you? Great. Are you at all nervous? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't ask you. <laughs> no, that. it's I'll totally fine. that out of there. <laughs> totally fine. Best so, to be real. <laughs> okay. I love it. Be real. Okay. Yeah. So um, if you're going to be real, tell us what your real tiny tidbits are. Because okay. I'm sure you have a good one. So uh, today we're I'm talking about catechism. Oh, okay. That's that's a good one. Okay, go. I want to hear this. Okay. Well, I found um, particularly that studying the Westminster Shorter Catechism has been extremely beneficial. It's mm. equipped me to better understand foundational truths of Christianity. Um, and basically, the catechism is our tenets of faith in question and answer okay. format. Okay. Um, just a little short definition. So, there. so it's question and then an answer. Correct. Nice. Are you memorizing? Are you memorizing them? Yes. And are you well, doing? Do you do both? That. Yes. Okay. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> um, each one's uh, referenced with a short explanation and scripture reference. Nice. Um, I usually study one question per week with my family as a daily morning devotional. Sometimes nice. we have to be flexible in that, obviously depending on schedule. Um, I personally love the accountability of studying with a group. Yeah. So you're, you're talking group as in your family is your group. <laughs> yes. And and honestly, like it, you could do it with a group of women. Yeah. You know, um, just a husband, wife. Yep. Just some friends, whatever. Um, each week we introduce a new question and it's re- reinforced with daily reading. Usually okay. we spend five to six days a week on, that, on one question. Okay. So by the end of the week, you really know it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, we also review previous questions and their answers, and the study usually takes only about 10 to 15 minutes. Nice. So it's easy to um, slip in in the morning before we mm-hmm. start our day, or sometimes we do it at lunch. Um, also, we have done it as an evening or okay. bedtime devotional, too. Depending Sounds like any time will work. Then. Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> um, I've definitely grown more confident and comfortable explaining my Christian beliefs with others. Hmm. And um, my love for God has grown tremendously as I get to know Him more through the study of Scripture and um, this type of reference. Okay, good. Do you have resources? I do. Okay. Um, So two of our family favorites are Star Meads, which the title is Training Hearts, Teaching Minds, especially if you're including children. Okay. Um, And the Westminster Shorter Catechism by G.I. Williamson. Okay. Okay, great. So we'll put those in our show notes because you may want to start this practice too. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I love it. And if you are doing this, how many of these have you gotten through? How many are there? Is it like a hundred? I want to say there's like maybe a hundred and twenty six. Okay. And so you're doing one a week. So this could last you. A couple years. Yep. Yep. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. That's a great tip for anyone and it's it's great to memorize those things mm-hmm. to learn them you have the the base for what you need to do when you want to go talk and just to know the truth correct yeah that's great thank you yeah you're welcome thank you hey 
Hey, join us next week for a focus on a really hot topic, abortion. And what are we supposed to do with this as Christians? It's going to be very good to talk through and very relevant because we're going to talk about some real practical things that you and I can do in regard to this topic. And I'm really looking forward to it. Hey, don't forget to follow or like us on Facebook or Instagram at Women of the Word CTW for some great content that is helpful, challenging, and encouraging. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Unshaken on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out and it helps you out because you get notifications when each new episodes drop each and every Thursday. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God until next time.